clubhouse. This is Paul. This is Caroline. And we're going to talk about the 11th episode of the fifth season of NBC's This Is Us. This one is called One Small Step, set against the backdrop of man landing on the moon, where the One Small Step famous statement was first heard. Um, We also juxtapose that with Nikki's first steps outside his, his trailer into the larger world as he visits Kevin and his namesake plus sister <laughs> right Granny's getting no play in california and all of the everything that went into that uh, the the baggage from when he was a young man all the way up till now and, and every all the effort that went into getting him on the plane to california and to stay there beyond the first 10 minutes he was there I know that was unexpected little twist there when he was like abort abort like he just wanted to leave that was unexpected yeah let's go to the flashbacks Paul because there was a great deal of time spent there I was curious how you feel about how they present the Pearson family a la 1969 I think there's a number of things at play here one of them is the point of view I think what you're talking about in particular is the portrayal of Jack and Nick's father, kind of the softening that we've been seeing the show give him in comparison to the hard-assed, hard-drinking, wife-hitting guy that we knew of seasons past. He still shows flares and flashes of that same guy in these flashbacks, which I think we're supposed to remember these are not in the same sequence, but then again... It's hard to keep up because we've seen him do worse things to his wife with smaller kids, right? Yeah, this is a confusing portrayal of this man because, I mean, maybe they would say, oh, no, it's very complex. He has ups and downs. He has good times and bad. But, I mean, it was so distinct the way that they had created this abusive family that Jack had come from. And that justified why he could have zero contact with them, why he could say that they were completely not in his life. If you're going to start kind of making it feel like, well, you know, he had his trials and tribulations, it gets harder to understand the scene that we have where Jack basically underground railroads his mom away from the dad and seemingly permanently gets her away from him. All of that stuff is very hard to reconcile when you have these scenes in between. You made a good point about point of view and that the scenes that we saw where the father was the worst definitely was coming when we were really talking about Jack's memories. If those scenes that we know the father from are in the majority from Jack's POV and Jack died as an AA follower, a true believer, someone that basically demonizes the drink as the worst possible thing, then it makes some sort of sense that from his POV, his father, who by his, his telling anyway, is someone that abuses the drink then all the memories that we get from from Jack's POV are of a guy who drinks too much and yells at his kids and hits his wife and all the worst things possible. These are all bad things. I'm not not ever going to say anything like, well, the fact that he holds his hand's wife once in the history of the show makes up for that. I'm not 
going to say that. I'm just saying that it kind of makes sense then that Jack's POV would mix those things together and be like, only the worst things are what's remembered. So I'm going to agree with your conclusion there. And I'm like super eyebrows on the whole, like, why do you think the focus is AA and drinking? I think the focus was his absolute abuse towards his children and wife. I, I don't think he actually sat around and was like, I shouldn't drink or the drinking was the bad thing. The bad thing was his goddamn temper and beating his wife and children and all those things. The fact that they all lived in fear of him, that was the bad. I don't think it was AA pushed demonizing the drink. I'm just trying to think of a connection. Created it. My my problem is that I just can't, I, I understand what you're saying. And I, and I do appreciate that Nikki had a different experience mm-hmm. and this was fully Nikki's POV that we were getting all of his memories, the things that we think we can trust as like, you know, this is how it was going on, but they were clear at one point when Nikki said, you're not around, you don't really know how he acts right now with her, that kind of thing. As if there were sections of life that, The father obviously had a different dynamic with them. He was still a not nice person at all, you know, calling Nikki names and pushing him around, basically bullying him. But it didn't look as bad as some of the, you know, the previous scenes that we had seen. Where I was kind of going with that idea in terms of remembering only the bad was Nikki's a different kind of guy than Jack. Okay, let me back up. Nikki... The way he seems to experience things is there's like no emotional armor that he has to deflect anything. So everything that's said to him goes straight into his little heart. That's Mm -hmm. why when he's showing his dad the lunar lander, we had mentioned uh, offline the idea that we might have expected him to to be careless with it, break it, drop it. I, something I thought like surely that. he was going to be but cruel f- and break it in some way. But the fact that he said, I only like the latter. Okay, he didn't say, I only like the latter. The only thing he said was, I like the latter. I like the latter. Well, Nikki heard that as the rest of it's a piece of shit, except for this latter. I think emotionally, that's about the same yeah. to Nikki. I really am struggling with this abuse storyline and like what they're doing. I really am. And I am not somebody who enjoys seeing abuse on the screen in any way. I don't, I don't like it when these storylines come along. I'm like, ah, is there any way I can avoid it? I definitely don't want to see anything, but the game that they're playing with us feels almost like we're in an abusive relationship with this is us when it comes to this character, the pushing, the pulling, the acting like, is he, isn't he, will he, won't he, Kind of like, is he a cruel guy? Is it enough? He said he liked the latter. Should he, you know, weren't you expecting him to smash it when he put it on the TV tray? Didn't you expect that to get knocked over in some moment of anger out of the dad? The playing with us about this guy, the tension that he brings to every scene, it like bothers me with this as I'm like, what are you, what are you guys doing with Hopefully all of Hopefully that's this? intentional. Oh, I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is on, on some level. And so then on that side, do I say good job, writers? Good job, creator. Good job on what you did here. And also... You know, I get it. I get that people aren't cut and dry. I get that people aren't black and white. But I think on balance, his glass is half empty, right? <laughs> no I matter how many hands he holds. I don't know trying to say anymore. I mean, when we have the ice cream scene that he cuts it up like cake and we have, you know, the fact that he does lend Jack the money to buy the house and we have these moments you're like, I don't know what to think. Like, it, And a little bit, you know, they showed the, the original scenes way back when Nikki was born and you had pointed out that it was Michael Ironside that plays Mr. Pearson grandpa Pearson, if you will, you know, he's such a hard guy. He's so 
you know, just rough around the edges kind of thing and, and probably abusive. So I guess, I mean, I know we're supposed to absorb that this is a pattern and in every generation, it's a little bit better. They're a little bit less abusive towards their children and their wives. But man, it's, I just, I really, I really have a hard time because we know Jack's coming back to take the mother away. And so sitting, seeing them sitting on the couch, holding hands, watching TV feels like I know, I know we're just waiting for the other shoe to drop because we know something big enough has to happen to justify moving her out of the house. And I get it. I get it. Like, good job on the tension. But man, I'm just, I'm feeling like overly manipulated in a way that I'm not just like watching the story. I'm like, this feels so bad because I know something horrible has got to happen. Let's give the writers credit then. And, and that actor credit for playing a guy that was presented simply as, as a demon at first that is giving us so much more to think about than most guest stars do he because he does have those moments like i was alluding to a second ago nikki feels all the bad stuff comes in but he's also amplifying that good stuff too i think he is i think that that's very true about the amplification of everything for him let's talk about nikki because this most definitely revolves around nikki and all he's doing so our flashbacks go all the way back to this moment in 1969 when we have the moon landing and Jack comes over as a, it was very common that people got together for things like that. The families to sit around and watch the te- watch the television, right? It's a big deal. They were uncommon, sort of. Very. It was exciting. And so, um, you know, Jack comes over and, you know, to be honest with you, it, it was kind of funny. It They didn't really even acknowledge Jack really was there, which is kind of funny when I think about it. But Jack engages with Nikki a ton and it's really encouraging of him that he needs to get up and get out. He needs to take his own small step here. Find his way, basically. Find the next step. Do you think Jack was right to be pushing like you should move out on your own and you need to be doing more than this? Yes, I do. I I think of the two men, I'm probably more Nikki than I am Jack in terms of uh, the introvert scale and i think nikki is on that that far end of the introvert scale that does need someone to pull him into the rest of the world or he's perfectly happy to stay in a little box but he doesn't doesn't even know that that there is more happiness to be had if you step out of it just a little bit and find your sallies or whatever but he's not even thinking that it's possible because whatever cycle that he's in is thinking like, no, this is good enough. I'll just, I'll just keep sitting on the floor with my parents watching moon landings. He has a more complicated motivation than just I'm content with this. He's got this whole idea that if he's there, somehow he's keeping the family calm. Doesn't that feel like, I don't know, a justification or, or just like a trap that he set for himself to justify this, this, this life that he's currently leading. I'm having a really hard time with whether or not it's true. Like how would his presence make it where things stay more calm? All I can think is that I guess because he receives a lot of the criticism and and the, the snottiness from his dad, maybe that keeps it from his mom, I guess. But, but it's all, it's, Oh, it's just such a messes with my mind, Paul, because I'm like, I don't know what is going on with Nikki. I mean, he has such an arrested development persona this entire time. And I, I just can't figure out. I understood him when it came to like being scared to be drafted. I would be terrified to be drafted. I feel like the majority of people would be pretty terrified to be drafted. So all of his anxiety and his worries and stuff that we have seen at this age, I understood. But to take a step back and see him 
before that and realized that he was sitting like Indian style on the rug, making little models. I am pretty concerned about Nikki, actually, and what is going on with him as a person. It's like if he'd been born into a family with a little more means than whatever it is Mr. Pearson does, he might have gone a completely other direction. He's some sort of vet helper outer. Right, right. He works at the vet clinic. But He's got this empathetic heart. He's also got uh, an artistic talent. He's also got this mind for for memorizing data that uh, has gone kind of overlooked in in past seasons. I didn't know that he was he had a, a nerdy propensity to him. Tell that part. I, tell me what you were what you were seeing. Oh, just tell me. Tell can you tell me something about the moon? You know that that scene, and he's and he and he can yeah he tell can rattle it all off facts and figures about the moon, but she wants to know like qualitative. You right. know how do you feel about the moon? Kind of questions, <laughs> right, right. not like what's its density of of ore, uh, iron ore, or whatever that that he can rattle off. Right. Um, but I didn't know that about him, which tells me if he had been in a in a family that put any value at all on. I don't know, intellectualism, that he might have gone a completely different path. You know, he might have been Professor Nikki at some point. Interesting. I, I definitely could see a creative side to him. And I agree with you that it was surprising that he was like somebody who was like rattling off facts. He always just seemed like the the wallflower, like, you know, kind of shrinking behind Jack that I guess, you know, his personality has been, you know, pretty vague, really, when it comes to that kind of thing. Like, is he a smart guy? I don't really know. You know, his, his fear and his anxiety have always been so, you know, upfront. It kind of blocked the rest of who he was. Yeah, well, you get a guy that's like that, but instead get him in a family that says you're going to college rather than, hmm, who cares, college boy, or that kind of attitude, you know, that you might expect from that that father figure, then he's not draftable if he's in college, you know? But don't you think, Paul, he's like kind of a curious character that do you think he would have had the the self-esteem and the... He was stronger before Nam than after. No, certainly, certainly. But but even again, like I'm just just envisioning this 18, 19-year-old man, you know, sitting cross-legged on the floor and I'm just thinking like, I don't know, does that person have the wherewithal to go to college at that point? Like, could he sit in a college class and not just be like such the bundle of nerves that he basically just, you know, psychs himself out of everything. Like, could he handle it? And, and so I guess what I'm saying is that I I'm, I'm learning that he was such a fragile person before Vietnam. I think that there was so much about his character that we've known as an older Nikki that I blamed like everything on Vietnam, everything he had, he had seen everything he had to endure that's why he was who he was. And now seeing these scenes in the living room, I'm thinking, you know, he was set up completely to be this bundle of nerves person always, you know, and and you're right. Had he been in like business college or something, you know, maybe those nerves could have gone towards something good. But at the same time, I'm like thinking, could he have peers who are competitive with him and, you know, having a big test and stuff like that and not really melt under the pressure. Again, it's all so hypothetical because it it, it it depends on having this father that would have looked at his smarts 
and nurtured it instead of called him a sissy. And his creativity. Let's not let's let's really focus on that, too, because I think, yes, he he did rattle off information. I don't think we've seen him show intelligence in the way that I guess I'm defining it in terms of taking data, taking information and then using it for something, not just rattling it sure, off. Sure, Application is, yeah, is I mean, the thing for me, because because that's where I'm thinking where in order to go to college, you have to do that step. And that's the part that I just don't see with him. I don't know where this guy, I mean, it's a, it's an interesting little thought experiment to be like, where would he have gone? What would he have done? I, I'm guessing like from what you're saying and from what I'm just feeling is that he would have gotten some sort of just local job, you know, the vet's office or whatever, but you would have had to have made enough money to actually be like being able to, to support a family. The, the job that he seemed to be in didn't seem like that was that type of position. Right, right. Right. So I don't know. He's a curious guy. He's so interesting. It, it, his, it, the nature and nurture argument in his little soul, the nurture overwhelmed his, his nature, I think. And I'm saying his nature was fragile AF. Even without the nurture, this was going to be a nervous, worried person, it seems. Uh, and I guess because I'm actually adding the war as part of the nurture, as part of the like, what happened? What was the environment that he had to kind of live in? I mean, that, that's so, a good argument because, I mean, the two brothers had the same nurture, both the yeah. exact same, same home life, yeah. same war, but they came out completely different guys. Yeah, I just, you know, and I'm not saying anything negative about about um, Nikki, and I want to make sure that no one's hearing that as like I'm looking down on him or anything like that. I, I'm so curious if you had to ask the writers or Fogelman and say, say the war never happened. Say the parents really sat and sat up at bed at night and said like, what do we do about Nikki? How could we support him? Where could he go? What should he be doing? What's the answer for this character? You know, should he have gone to art school? I just don't know what he could handle as a person. That's all curious. valid. That's He's all very valid. Curious. We do get this new character, Sally. Did you like her? What did you think? I thought Nikki lucked out with meeting Sally and finding someone that was willing to take on a project as ready to be damaged as Nikki was. I love Sally's spitfire personality. I love the way that she talked to Jack. I love the way that she put him in his place, that she didn't need Jack's help in order to talk with Nikki and ask him out on a date. I thought that was all like refreshing and a new character to, a, a new way to even interact with Jack. I mean, that barely ever happens. I liked that scene in that Jack was glad to see it too. It wasn't that a woman like was, was talking to him like that. It was, it was like... He was happy that she was into it, <laughs> you know. He was uh, he was thankful. I think that that it wasn't a complete misread. Yeah, and that she had genuine interest in Nikki, which was great. Yeah. So let's get into Nikki and Sally a little bit because we get a little of their interaction, and I think maybe a little foreshadowing. You know, the the whole scene where Nikki is going to meet uh, to look at the moon, and she honks the horn for Pearl, the white van. That was a, it was a startle moment when it happened. Cause it was like, what is honking? Like, why is Nikki in like a middle of a road? Why is he like in headlights all of a sudden? So to realize like, oh, okay. She's like living in this van. I know that it was like a thing in the sixties where definitely like there was like, you Hippies, know, right. the Volkswagen love kind of thing. I, the reason why I'm focusing on that honk honk is because just an episode or two ago, we had the white car pulling up to Rebecca's apparent, you know, death goodbyes and does the honk honk, which is again, 
pretty unusual, pretty startling because, you know, people don't show up to like, it's time to go say goodbye to Rebecca. And then, and then the person comes up and is like, honk, honk, like what the heck? So I thought it was kind of interesting that, you know, maybe we're getting a little insight that, you know, Nikki and Sally, you know, could find each other in the future. But what did you think about this whole, like making this plan, going to Woodstock, going to move out to California and the horse farm, Paul? She has a relative with a horse farm. We've seen a horse farm. Mm. And it always just sat out there. Like, what is this just random doctor horse farm situation? Which, think about it, Sally was into animals and veterinary stuff. And then I don't have to be that everyone's always related. I don't think that Cassidy is the love child of Sally and Nikki. (laughs) uh, Not everything has to be. But she mentions this farm and she mentions this out in California and we know this doctor and the red-haired little girl and Sally was what? Redheaded. Well, that makes a lot of sense. So I'm kind of seeing something coming through here. That makes a lot of sense. Why bother showing us so much detail about that that man and that girl's life? The doctor and the right. red-haired little girl. Right. I like that. There are so many, uh, let's just say, uninformed questions and answers in the in the Facebook forums. I don't read them too much. Well, I'm not going to say uninformed. I'm going to say that so far reaching, so like every single person has to be related in some way. But it, I feel pretty good about this. I mean, the double honk feels like Nikki and Sally get together. That seems right to me. Again, her red hair and then that red haired little girl back when we were like seeing her on the horse farm kind of thing. There's just some pieces there that I think actually snap together. Still, the honk honk is funny. (laughs) Sorry. The honk honk was inappropriate in both places. Here for soccer practice. Come on, let's go. It scared Nikki when he walked up and it was a weird thing to do coming up to this funeral time. Anyhow, what do you think about Nikki's whole plan about sneaking out of the house and all that? Is it necessary? I mean, he's 18, 19 years old. He has to sneak out. This has to be the way this goes. I mean, was there any alternative? Well, I mean, this is one of those traps that This Is Us has set for itself, which is we know enough of the future that these little moments like this the tension is missing because we know he doesn't freaking go. Right. We knew that he was going to break her heart right then and there is really what we knew. Not that there was any tension that he might go. It was that we knew that he wasn't. Do you feel like the the fact that the plan was the sneaking out and everything like that just all kind of like led us to understand too that like he was never going to go. It's not like he sat down and was like, hello, parents, I'm going to head out. I'm going to get a job on this farm. And I have this fantastical suitcase, which adorable that Jack gave to him. And then is his suitcase again that he travels with to go see Kevin. That was so cute. Like it always seemed like a flimsy plan, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. If you're a Nikki type and your plan revolves around sneaking out, you're not ready to go is (laughs) probably the main idea. I think that that's absolutely true. I think when we are sitting there watching the astronaut parade and dad is having this whole moment about how the world has changed and his parents seem to be doing okay holding hands and stuff. Some part of my heart was like, it's okay to let go now. Like, it's okay. Like he's talking about change. This is a good foray to be like, everyone should change and move into change. That actually confused me too. I mean, if you're, I don't know if you're saying you're confused or not, but I'm saying I was confused in that moment. Just that he saw that and was like, yeah, I need to stick around for more of 
whatever this is. Yeah. Like, because it kind of seemed like a settled moment. Like, it seemed like dad would have been okay with some sort of change. The mom and the dad seemed okay together. Well, obviously, again, we knew and what a sad moment when there's a knock on the van door and it's the police officer telling Sally to move along. That was sad because I didn't know at what part Nikki was going to pike out. Like, I didn't know he was not going to even show up and talk to her. I didn't know how this would go down because we had been given little bits of information in previous episodes about how, you know, he bought this trailer for them. He bought this land for them. This is where he was going to basically, you know, make good. And But I didn't know when, I didn't know if it was the war that separated them. I didn't know. This is what know? ghosting looked like in the 60s, kids. I guess so, yeah. I mean, you actually I, had a plan to meet the other person and you just don't show up. That's Yeah, I mean, that's the epitome of standing up. But the thing is that most of the time, that's where it ends. Why would you go buy a trailer? Why would you go do, you know what I mean? Like, unless you were just so confused. Now, I know. Again, in those past episodes, there were letters between Sally and him in Vietnam. Supposedly, there was more interaction. So maybe there is going to be a little bit more here. It just wasn't going to be that night that he left. But yeah. I, but we know he doesn't leave, or at least we believe he doesn't leave. Because he says that we finally made it out to California. Here's, here's kind of the funny thing is, like, it does... This episode does leave a couple timeline-related questions that things that were said in previous seasons that this doesn't connect to very well. Not yet, at least. Right. It's How, just it, it plugs in at like a part where you leave a gap. However, in the scheme of the entire narrative, I was watching this whole episode thinking it was pretty extraneous to what I wanted from the show. Because every time I say I don't quote unquote like an episode, there are people to say, no, 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 this one touched me in, in the best way possible is my favorite episode of the entire show. <laughs> uh, you're getting it wrong. But this episode, I already understood that Nikki was a damaged and damageable guy who had these self-esteem issues, these these issues about leaving home. And I don't know what I knew about him. I, enough. I thought that was enough to understand a moving going Here's forward. Here's why I think we have to have had this episode for a couple of reasons. I mean, again, we talked about, you know, we needed some new storylines. And so Nikki moving in was a portion of that. And that was, all, you know, half of this episode is about him coming to Kevin's house. And we'll get into that. But I think that because he has that wedding ring on in the future episode and because we have the honk honk of the car, I think it's because Sally is coming. And so in that case, it makes sense that you need to backfill a little bit more about how Sally and Nikki met and where their little love affair started and that she was heading to California. You know, now Nikki's in California. Like it's part of setting up where I think this is going to go, which is probably them meeting at, where did Kevin mention he wanted to take Nikki? The dog park, which is funny because I didn't even know Kevin had a dog. Does Kevin have a dog, Paul? I didn't ever see no. a dog. <laughs> the Laurel storyline almost foreshadows sort of that long lost love. Mm. Or that it's all cycles, right? That we're mm. all just in a series. If you go back to that one episode where Kevin shows the painting, and he's like, we're all just like writing over each other, kind of painting over each other, you know, but there's, but you, but the colors show through the past is still there. It's just kind of going over, over and over and over. I think that that's what we're seeing. We're seeing a, a, an old cycle 
and even Laurel's old cycle. And then we're seeing stuff that's happening with, you know, Kevin and Madison and, and new cycles starting. Yeah. But then that's where it makes you wonder if that old love, Kevin's got an old love, gotta come creeping. I mean, I, I don't want to derail the, this, the, the flashback segment, so maybe we put a pin in it, but they showed us Cassidy. She didn't mention. She didn't really mention Kevin. She just said she. She kind of obliquely mentioned that she knew two men that were trying to live up to this idea of Jack. I kind of liked that actually to have that Cassidy outsider POV that she saw two men from two different worlds completely, and who knew Jack in completely different generations, and how they both were trying to live up to him. I really, I actually thought that was kind of like a little poignant little moment to point out. That is probably the one moment that that touched me the most of this episode that I that I didn't feel like I needed the but that moment uh, was one that probably was something that people could take something from uh, just the idea of constantly comparing yourself to someone whose approval you can't get because they're dead and you'll never know but you're still kind of flagellating yourself with this idea of living up to that ideal how unachievable that is and how that makes your life just an endless cycle of, of no sense of, of doing a good thing, you know, or, or making it or, or anything. Uh, that, that's a terrible way to, to try to keep going. Before we move into the current storyline, let's touch on the little bit that we get from the post nom Nikki trying to sort himself out absent of his of his family story this was for me a tough editorial kind of distinction to make because we were just trying to to tell where we were in history by sort of the amount of facial hair that jack and nikki had and th- i think there was a little bit of like what they call grading the color treatment that they give to the to the scenes afterwards that were trying to tell us this is like before nom those were like warmer colors and then like post nom i think those were like cooler colors and they were shot kind of at night mostly it seemed mm, some darker i think that was the big distinction that helped because i was confused a little bit until i realized oh we're looking at two different parts of, of time here even though the men look almost the same. Did you, did you feel the same way? Agree that the way that it was shot and the colors and the tones definitely were colder and, and um, darker when it came after Vietnam. I think that I have a pretty good handle on what they look like at different points in time. And obviously once he had the trailer, like we knew this was after. So I don't think I was struggling very hard about when it was in time. I was sad to see that Nikki was so close to Jack and so close to having another conversation and a little confused, frankly, about where we are in terms of Nikki being dead to his family or not. Because here's a here's a confusing portion. Didn't Jack take Randall to see the Vietnam War wall? And wasn't Nikki's name not there? And wasn't there some sort of push about finding him and realizing he was alive? It's a good point. When because, he took him on the, the college tour, you yeah. mean? Yeah. And so wasn't there, I mean, I'm, 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 I could be forgetting, and you guys, those of you who are experts in this, there's something that's monkeying with my mind right now. The other people in the friend group from, from the war knew Nikki was alive. They called him and invited him. Yeah. So he wasn't MIA. Nope. He wasn't somehow people being unsure of like what his status was, they knew exactly where to reach him. 
They even had a current phone number. I mean, this wasn't back in cell phone days where you would have had the same phone number before the war and after. He had to put a phone number, he had to put a lay a, like a line into the trailer, guys, which meant he would have had to have contact with the people from the military after he bought the trailer and put in the line. So I'm really sketchy about the status of Nikki's life with everybody. This is all just a guess that I'm about to lay okay. down. When he blew up that kid, mm -hmm. I think he was sent home under something like uh, what they, what in MASH they called a section eight, which was you, you had mentally lost it. Right. And were kind of a liability to have around at this point. I don't know that that if that results in an honorable or a dishonorable discharge, there's a difference to like your legal standing afterwards, depending on which one you get. Sure. If he had come home with this sort of questionable discharge and the last thing that we that we see from Nikki and his dad was sort of just like a bump on the shoulder saying, make me proud before he goes off to freaking war right and you come home under these circumstances that man i could see disowning his son the mom i don't get but the but the dad yes i don't know you guys i'm gonna i'm gonna try to read back and try to understand more about where nikki landed in terms of status because i don't understand why we're at the vietnam war memorial I don't understand why we're looking at names on the wall. I, I don't get exactly what's happened here. I, I'm sure it's very clear and some someone's sitting out there going, oh, God, duh, don't you remember? And I'm trying. I'm trying to piece it together. I know that Jack, again, like he had to know he was alive and everything was, you know, af after the fact. He had to have because we had that scene where Jack kind of like, Tries to decide if he's going to go to the trailer, remember, or go back home. Well, yeah, they have one post-war meetup. Right. I don't know where Nikki stands with anybody, including Sally, for that matter. Un so I guess that's going to yeah. be all sort of revealed, you know, as we move forward. Because, you know, like I said, I think we're getting into this next section. We do have that little snippet that... You know, Jack has a moment that was not a Nikki-centric moment where he's talking to his sounds like commanding officer and asking about, you know, telling about the war or not telling about the war. As someone who has never served and um, except for like my my father, who was a Vietnam era veteran, but did not serve in actual Vietnam. I, I don't have like dealings with with people that have gone through that. And so I, I can't rightly say whether or not the man's advice was good or bad. Other oh, I think it was current advice to that time. I definitely think they told them not to talk about it, to put it away. I can say that it's plausible. I can say yeah, that it's... Yeah, no, I, I do, I honestly, because I think that it's supposed to be this, you know, opposite to the fact that Cassidy and Nikki go to the VA and talk in support groups and stuff, and that that's not the way we handle it now. And that the way that, you know, previous veterans had been told to handle things was put it in a lockbox and put it away and move forward, look forward. And well, those veterans were, were not welcomed home with the thank you for your service parade of handshakes. Absolutely right. I think you weren't supposed to talk about it because it was such an unpopular war and it, and there was no like good ending to it. No real good closure for people where it felt like, oh, let's have a big victory parade or something like it was all so murky and muddy for the ending of it all. You know, no one was viewed as the heroes. That's for sure. That's a long way to say, I understand the advice. And what I find interesting, the 
concept that Jack, who's normally so alpha, and he 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 seems to follow his own north star, you know. And, okay, yeah. Um, he he goes to this man who, aside from probably having gone to college, which made him an officer, they're the same age. They have the same experience, pretty much. I bet if we went back to those Vietnam episodes, though, we would see him. Yeah. And so in that case, we know, I mean, he's a leader who Jack respects. Which is what it boils down to. He still calls him Sir. His his North Star in this area is is foggy and he needs Rudolph to help get 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 through. And he's and he and he has and you're right, he respects this this other man's opinion. He doesn't know who else to ask. There's he's not close enough where he's gonna have to like deal with this having received this advice and then acting on it you know it's more like he if it doesn't work out right to have follow that advice and it's you know what i'm trying to say it's like um sometimes you need advice from somebody way outside of a situation that you that it feels good and right to follow that because they're so impartial to everything else that's going on in your life i think that that's totally true and i it's the circling out concept that we use in special needs world where sometimes you just have to talk to people who are so not invested that you can get a really clear new POV. And, you know, I don't know what's the right thing for the, for the men of that era. I don't know what's the right thing for people in general when it comes to dealing with trauma. I think some people do need to talk about it and do need to go through, you know, feeling all the feels and and getting some closure. And I think that there, I really do believe that there are probably some people who the way that their mind compartmentalizes, the way that their heart can handle things or, or truly the level of trauma they dealt with, their psyche can't go back and try to sort through it. Um, those people, you know, may very well benefit from the lockbox approach and just put it away, try to try to seal it up with like a cement wall. For my own self, that's not typically, I mean, I'm captain after action review. I like to say like, what do you think? Did that go okay? You know, that we kind have of the thing. charts and graphs to prove it. Prefer to talk things out because I try to learn from things and do it better next time. But at the same time, I've never had such an isolated, tragic situation like this um, where, well, let me say that a little differently. I know for a fact that NICU parents have charted the same level of PTSD levels as war veterans, the level of stress and the level of upset. Now, here's the thing. Very rarely, if at all in 18 years, have I been willing to go back to decisions that were made, especially like the smaller decisions, like if you would be thinking about like individual battles or individual moments in war, I think that I do push them down. And I do say that choice is done and over and there's nothing that anyone can do about it now. So we just turn and look forward. And we've started the motto of you make the best decision you can with the information you have at the time. And when you get new information, you can revisit it and move forward. But you don't go back and berate yourself for like, oh, my God, we should have chosen a different doctor. We should have gone to a different hospital. We should have reacted sooner. We should have done like there's no point in that. I think I've hardened part of my heart and part of my psyche to tragedy of the past. And while there are certain parts to it that I had to kind of think through or talk through the large majority of it. I actually think we don't, I don't personally choose to revisit. I don't know how you feel about that. I'm not overly introspective in general to the extent that a past decision 
will very overtly hurt me again if I make it again. I guess I try to learn from that, but those little ones that just kind of nig at you and <laughs> make you a little worse feeling over time that you don't even realize, I'm, I, I think I probably miss those. I think the NICU experience can be related to war in the sense of that, like, we'll never be in that situation again. No. But that's important because, like, Nikki, as a, you know, 67-year-old man, is never going to be a soldier at Vietnam again, you know? And so there's some parts of that that allow you to say, this isn't a learning experience. I don't need to figure out what I would do if I had preemie twins again, because I'm never going to have preemie twins again. Like I'm never going to go through this experience again. So those experiences, I wonder if that allows you to cement it off better than say, you know, some trauma that happened, say you were mugged or something, or say something happened, you know, you were attacked or something terrible happened. Like in your brain, it could happen again and you could prevent it if you thought it through or if you worked through it, you could have some closure to it. There's just nothing, there is no closure to it. That is actually what I came to in therapy was that there is no closure to what happened with me. There is no closure. Do you suppose that the lieutenant in this scenario knew the extent to which the advice that he was giving would ripple through to Jack's entire approach to his post-war adulthood, meaning that he wasn't just saying, it's okay to not talk about the war. He was saying, it's okay to never talk to your brother again for the rest of your life. I'm sure that the gentleman could have no idea the long-reaching effects that his advice would have. And I don't know that he had to take the advice as never speak to your brother again, basically. It's tricky because of how, you know, Jack would have never even been in the war had it not been for Nikki and wanting to watch out for him. And he certainly would not have gone through everything he went through had Nikki acted a little more mainstream um, in his behavior, right? right. So, um, so it's interesting because I don't know that I put together that not talking about the war really includes not talking about Nikki. I hadn't thought about that. That was the advice he ultimately gave and ultimately Jack had to take. I do think that the portion about just looking forward, take your wife, create a family. That's actually exactly what Jack does. Mm -hmm. I mean, he basically closes the door on his past completely. Parents, sibling, right. everything goes away. So maybe it was two pronged advice. Keep the war where where the war was. You don't need to explain more to your future spouse what that was. But then also keep your face looking forward. And if that's what you're doing, you really can't deal with anything from the past. Then I guess I get into the like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if people are built exactly that way. Because clearly all of the the ghosts of the past haunt him. Maybe not so much the war, but how he leaves it with Nikki. It's all the It's the way Jack took it, though. That that, yeah. that wound up being, you know, the past is in the past and, and, and you should, you should move forward with how you want to live with your wife. You know, one of the moments that I think really struck me in terms of the past and, and the sort of the everyday of their lives was that photo that Sally took of them with the Salisbury steak mm. and saying like, because that's something that people don't do. People don't take a picture of a Thursday night dinner at home with your family you know, you take a picture of each birthday party and we all have the benefit of Facebook, basically, that tells us every year, like, here's, I mean, if you type in on someone's search profile birthday, you could literally see, bum, 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 the consecutive photographs. Whereas if you just were looking for like, what is a random day in your house look like? What do they call it? The Pittsburgh famous Pearson brothers, just doing the dishes, talking, 
very few of us have photographs of that. Yeah. So there was something that was very special that he kept a picture of them in their just everyday life. And that part, I think Jack was probably very wrong in leaving behind. I, I, I think. Because I, I don't think you can escape it anyway. That's what I'm trying to say. It's, it's not, I'm not trying to say that he was wrong in trying to get away from it. But all of those things came back, back to haunt him anyway. So it's, it should be a lesson to us viewers that like, try as you might, you're going to have to have conversations with the Nickies in your life. Um, unless you truly are that one, you know, that small percentage of the population who can just say, I don't care about those people anymore. And it doesn't affect me. You mentioned uh, Facebook and people post all kinds of stuff on there with all different kinds of advice on the quote unquote, perfect way to live your life, live your best self or whatever, yeah, certainly live your truth or whatever the current vernacular is. But, um, some of that, some of that is about cutting out toxic people. Mm. Consistently. And, I see that actually. Can you really do it? I guess it's like how toxic is toxic. And, and like with Jack, I've always considered his approach to this, like, I'm not an overly complex guy and I, and I can, I, I want to manage my family the best that I can. And these other things are just over going to overwhelm my ability to do that. Well, remember he w goes off in secret to go see Nikki that day. Yeah. Remember, he doesn't even tell Rebecca, obviously, because he doesn't have a brother to Rebecca. So yeah, I mean, the lies and the web gets pretty messy. And, and he doesn't want that. He doesn't want that. So if you just want to keep it straightforward and simple, there's something to be said for the idea of generational healing that I do think is kind of fascinating because I've experienced it myself where Jack couldn't make things good with Nikki, but Kevin can make things good with Nikki. I, I had a similar situation in my life where my grandfather and his sister argued and stopped speaking together. And it took not only that generation, but then my father's generation and then me. And I'm the one who went back to his sister and said, I'm his granddaughter. And, you know, he he is sick. And, you know, it would be so great if you guys could make up. We did that. Like we had generational healing because of that. But it took me like Kevin to step in and be kind of like the one that you'd have a softer heart for. She wasn't going to yell at me, you know. I yeah, it was like 30 or 40 years of not yeah. acknowledging each other's existence, right? Probably more than that, to be honest with you. And 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 they came back together and, and they were able to have some amount. I mean, it was too, you know, too little, too late in a lot of ways. But at the same time, there was some closure to that. And I mean, it's too bad. I mean, they missed out on each other, their kids growing up, you know, everything. And they lived literally like two streets away. But one of those things where it took like two generations really for that healing to happen for that part of my family. And I think that that's that is fascinating to me how Nikki coming in with Kevin, there's such softness between them. You know, Kevin would do anything for Nikki and Nikki would do anything for Kevin. And most especially now, namesake Nikki is essentially me. You know, it's like two generations down to where it's like that one, Uncle Nikki would do anything for, you know? Let's talk about that that modern timeline a little bit. Wow. Okay, let's do it in highlights. Loved the Amazon scene. Loved that he asked Cassidy and was like, can you give me step-by-step -step instructions, details? And then when you see all the boxes arrive and he has that smile, I was like, yes, that, that is adorable. Uh, highlight is 
is showing up at Madison and Kevin's house and just coming in like Hurricane Nikki, even though he's not really Hurricane Nikki, but he kind of is in the, in the, in a family with two little babies, you know? Yeah. And, and then they're like, they're, they're not saying no one was actually supposed to show up physically. Oh no. I think it said for a zoom baptism. He has no idea what a zoom is. I know that. And you know that, but there's no way that anyone was supposed to show up. I thought they actually captured the idea of an older person in America today. Very, very well. I appreciated a huge highlight for me was him going back to his, his painting of the miniature hobby that, you know, they did such a good job of establishing with the lunar lander and then having him, you know, painting these little, the little dog and the little astronaut and all that. Like, think of how perfect that is, you know, his, his dog experience at the vet and, and his little, you know, his experience with the astronaut parade and all that, like the whole thing was just so sweet and really tied it together. Okay. But Paul heartbreaking moment. Yeah. Check minus for TSA. O M G. That whole part was horrific. There's so much conversation that Cassidy should have told him he couldn't have liquid in those snow globes and blah, blah, blah. You guys, that was so bad. But here's the horrible thing and why it hit me hard. And I think why it hit a lot of people hard beyond obviously all the TLC that went into making these, these snow globes, his hands shaking when he's trying to open it and trying to pour the water out and him smashing them and his like startle when they smash because, you know, again, he's so nervous and he's such an, an edgy person. And they had done such a good job of showing the bombardment of the sounds in the airport and how that was like overwhelming him. Yeah. Everything was so much. And then not. And now it was not. And it is loud. And it kind of feels like, oh, my God, when did all these people come to the airport? <laughs> like, it's too loud and it's too much. And his moment of saying, I can't show up there empty handed. Right. I mean, Paul's closing his eyes right now. I'm just like. The whole thing just makes you just want to just curl up in a ball, you know? You know, I've yet to see anyone on the Facebook forums jump up and say, oh no, TSA would never let it get to that point. Not true. There was a couple who said, my husband works for TSA and they would have handled that much more carefully. Here's the problem. We can blame TSA all we want, but that's not what that scene showed. It was that he tried to handle it himself and take them out of the boxes and then go over to a, a, a there wasn't like, it wasn't like he tried to deal with it on a table. He was trying to deal with it like on the lid of the trash can. Mm. And that's why it all fell out of his hands. And, and, and of course he was shaking the whole time, you know, because he was realizing he wasn't allowed to have it. So he was like horrified because he had, he was trying to follow the rules. Remember the whole, you were going to have to take your shoes off. And he, he like, he wanted to know every step-by-step rule. So when he was like the, the, the idiotic rules of this country and how this all works, you know, it is crazy that he can't have his snow globes, but to say, you know, someone who hasn't traveled since 1971 and the last time he was on anything was when he was medevaced out. Yeah. I mean, this was all so much for him. Air travel is so much right now anyway. And they were very clear that this was during, you know, obviously pandemic time. Obviously, this is all like if you went to the airport right now, you could feel the same amount. The anxiety in the air in an airport right now is thick because people are anxious. They're anxious about being around each other. They're anxious about following all the rules and making sure that we're everyone's doing the right thing. My own grandma is like this. She's much older than Nikki, but she will get shaky when she feels like 
she's not doing what she's supposed to be doing. Like maybe we're going to be five minutes late or maybe she feels like she, you know, misunderstood an appointment time or something like that. Right. Her hands physically shake. And no, she's much older than Nikki, but that's what I was seeing. I was seeing him just right. The fears of everything were just tangibly coming out of his fingertips, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, yeah, that whole scene, oh, bawling my eyes out. I swear to God. I mean, I literally all over my notes, I was like, no, <laughs> I felt terrible. Now here's the thing. Does he have enough time to sit around at Kevin's house and totally make new snow globes? You know, the man does. <laughs> it's not act like he's, he didn't pass away. He's got plenty of time. I also super loved it when he actually got to Kevin's house. It, they don't make any big deal out of it at all, but he's just snacking and then he goes, Oh, it's just tiny, fancy fish. Like he was eating the leftover sushi. Right. And that's so funny though. Like what a, what a cute little like carryover from the Kate and Toby dinner. They had just left. Yeah. Right. But how cute to be like, it's just tiny, fancy fish. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was very cute. Kevin though, Paul Daly. Oh my goodness. With him continuing to be an overwhelming host. He did lay it on a little too thick with the... Uh, you know, you got to pick a name. Then we got to go to the dog toots? park. He says yeah. we could call you Toots. <laughs> I was like, Toots. Did Justin Hartley just, oh just ad lib that one? I thought or? it was really, really funny. Now, here's the thing. We love Kevin. We're not trying to be down on Kevin. But you would have thought after 15 minutes ago getting a lecture about being a little too much. Right. And him even pulling back and saying, you know what? I'm here if you need me, blah, blah, blah. And then literally we're, we're what, half an hour, an hour later and he's like and we'll call you toots and we'll get your name tattooed on the babies like it was like oh my goodness slow down kevin like so excited you know i i'm excited for this storyline because i think that nikki is going to bring a lot to this group i am a big fan of multi-generational households i think that they're much more interesting like i like i'm so jazzed for felicia rashad to be over at randall's she is going to bring a level of energy and just spice that i cannot wait for and i know nikki's level is going to be different i mean the anxiousness that he actually calls cassidy like maybe he should go back home yeah omg that was unexpected the amount of cassidy airplay in this episode is going to probably cause some question marks in viewers minds because kevin seems finally settled and at peace with where he's at who he's chosen what's going on but he does have this short history with with cassidy that could be um an issue for him if 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 they wanted to make it one. I think it's got to become one, don't you? Why do you have her back unless unless you're not I don't know how it to. plays. I don't know how it plays out, but I do think that's something more. I, I, I think that she needed to be a part of this episode in some ways because otherwise you could say, I mean, they bothered to say in this episode that Nikki had spent 55, oh, 50 years in that trailer. He was going to need some character to act as support to get him a plane ticket, to get him to the airport, to get the Amazon stuff done. You know, all the little parts that needed to happen to get him there wasn't going to happen unless you had somebody to be, you know, representing that. We would have thought, man, this is so far-fetched, you know, if he just figured it all out on his own. She could have just been phone a friend, though. 
And but instead, she was actually on camera doing stuff. And people pointed out was appearing to be in a house with husband and kid making dinner at one point. And then with that 4 a.m. phone call, she was definitely in bed by herself. Yes. So a lot of people were like, okay, so where does that land Cassidy in terms of like doesn't seem to be with anybody? Yeah, never saw husband. Mm mm. No. So that's a big question mark there. Okay, so I want to get down to the final scenes that we have with Nikki in the bedroom because I've got both thumbs up and thumbs down moments going on here. My only concern as a viewer for that was just that it ran a little long for my little heart. Like, okay. I got it. I understood. He felt connected to this baby and then well, bo- the, the other baby by, by <laughs> virtue of their connection. Right. But... It felt a little over overdone okay. f- for for me and what I what I needed, but that's just me and my robotic heart. So one of the things that people are saying is that you know it seems absolutely implausible that there weren't baby monitors and video monitors in the room. So therefore, when Kevin walks in and is surprised, ooh, ooh, ooh. right, that Uncle Nicky is in there, plus they're little enough that there would have been frequent going in there for diaper changes and feeding time and stuff like that. So it's totally not reasonable that it would have gotten gone so long. I thought the little John Grisham books that he like brought, hilarious. The part that I feel like I, I need to take a beat is this whole idea that he's so wowed that these are Jack's grandkids. It bothers me because he had Thanksgiving with the Pearson family, which included three other grandchildren at that point. Tess, Annie, and Deja were definitely there. I can't remember, and this is bad on me, that I can't remember if baby Jack was there or not. But regardless, these children are grandchildren five and six. That's if Haley was number seven. So this whole idea of taking Kevin's kids and putting them up on this Simba platter, most especially baby Nikki, it's a little getting to me. Like... Uh, especially why are we overlooking Randall's kids because Randall's adopted? Are we overlooking baby Jack because he has a disability? What are we doing? Why why is this child, the first full-fledged grandchild, we're going to acknowledge as Jack's grandkid? It's it's the namesake part. Only Kevin has, has made this a priority in his life. Right. Connecting to Nikki and made it like... One of the pillars that he stands on is is connecting to Nikki. Yeah. You know, and so much so that he named a kid after him. And this is like a chapter in his life that despite having that Thanksgiving, he wasn't, I don't know, maybe he didn't feel completely in yet. Like they weren't sizing for him, his, his, his Pearson jacket just yet. True. Uh, so this meant like he had found his way back into Jack's family for real. I don't know. That's a stretch. I'm making that up. I'm just, it's just for me, it has a little bit of an ick factor. You know, again, we've talked about the whole idea of, you know, race in the show. And we've definitely been sensitive to the idea of how they were going to handle special needs in the show. It feels weird that the little white baby boy with no issues apparently is the only Simba being held up when there's a lot of other grandchildren. It Mm -hmm. just feels 
there's other kids and this just feels bad, <laughs> you know? Well, you know, give him, give him a minute. Maybe, maybe he'll, he'll I will. I, good. I will absolutely give Nikki a minute. I think he got lots of minutes in this episode and I was happy for it. I'm, I'm not down on having some Nikki time because I definitely think that Sally and, and the relationships moving forward, all of his time with Cassidy are going to come continue to play out. And so I don't think this was just like a dip back in time for the sake of just, you know, a filler episode. I think that all the reminding us of these characters and bringing back those stories because they're going to be important moving forward. After talking to you offline, I think that that's the only way that I can look at this one up to this point is just knowing (laughs) that it will be important later. Uh, (laughs) Because at this point, if I'm just going like week in, week out, a deep dive into Nikki. It came out of nowhere. Wasn't what I was needing. I was needing. What are you needing, Mr. Daly? Because you have been so crabby about all these episodes. I have gotten feedback from from people in real life and people online who are like, what is with Paul every week? He is such a Grinch about Mm. these episodes. Just, you know, we we haven't done, I don't know, like the 100 percent full we're 100% cool again reconciliation with all the the siblings. Oh yes, a Randall Kevin. We haven't done any work at all on Rebecca's memory situation. She's just been hanging out in the COVID cabin <laughs> all year yeah. so far. Yeah. Um these were the plot lines that that were left to us and I understand, you know, maybe they had to to cater the story to what they could actually film. Right. Considering that Mandy Moore was pregnant and all these other other factors that went into apparently uh, Madison, aka Mrs. Fogelman, had a baby too. Oh well, convenient. So the pregnancy bump bit, I guess, was real. I guess on some, I, at least on like it was like on Instagram or something. There's like a picture of her with the newborn. People saying congratulations. Huh. So yeah, so apparently more than one. So, so those are know the what, things that you I'm know missing. What's fascinating about that. You know how writers are very much like write what you know. Uh-huh. Fascinating that that if if this is correct, and I'm not getting old information or whatever here, if the Fogelmans really did just have a baby, then to have shows that are based on the ride home from the hospital, those first nights, how do you handle a Zoom baptism and people showing up unexpected or whatever? Don't you kind of know that this is just like what's going on <laughs> at their house right now? That's funny. Like it is kind of like okay, you know something a storyline that's been dropped that I would like to see back is Baby Jack. I I think that it's really important to talk about siblings and talk about the special needs side of that family. I know that now that Toby's lost his job, that's a really big deal in terms of insurance. That's a really, really big yeah. deal. And in most households, that would be the number one topic of conversation would be specialists and Jack and therapies that he may have been getting that now are in danger. I know that those aren't sexy storylines, but that's the this is us of it. I know we looked at it like Toby's pride is hurt that he doesn't have money for his family, but they touched on it in one little sentence when Kevin said, the kids could come over here and we could even get a special teacher for Jack. When he said that, my heart like leapt for joy because it was like there was this little glimmer of hope that someone was going to acknowledge the fact that Jack is going to need something non-traditional and maybe they'll even show a little bit of what it is like for a family who is going to have to be far more creative about childcare like that. You know, you can't just bring your blind baby or your deaf blind baby anywhere. Not everyone's comfortable with that. 
So I think that that's really interesting. So there's a couple storylines worth talking about. Again, Felicia Rashad in the Randall household, Nikki in the Kevin household. Lots of fodder there for good. <laughs> I never saw this before. Tiny fancy fish. You know, all this. There's a lot of good stuff, you know, and Kevin living in this like totally different life anyway than the rest of us typically have. They're going to need a bigger house. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> good. Well, maybe that'll be the start of a, some trouble with Madison. This is her house. It is. So hmm, that could be an interesting plot point there. Maybe that even spurs them on to building the bigger cabin. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Maybe Nikki lives down in the old cabin. I can't wait to see what other storylines that I wasn't expecting. <laughs> or wanting You're like, next week, Madison's mom's story. <laughs> right. <laughs> this is Caroline. This is Paul. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you.